She was a police officer. She was stabbed multiple times in an unexpected and violent attack, which almost took her life. She's here to talk about her life after and what she does to help others. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show if you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show simply contact us it couldn't be easier you can send us a message on Facebook look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com that's j-a-y at letradio.com contact us from Connecticut we have now retired Hartford, Connecticut police officer Jill Kittick on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. A return visit. Jill, thanks again for your service and thanks for being guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Very excited. By the way, you can hear the first interview with Jill. I did a digitally remastered episode of it and you can just, it was released October 1st, 2023. And it goes into exactly what happened and there's some stunning 911 dispatcher audio from backup officers. We won't do that today, but Jill, we do have to talk a little about what happened because, and I, I got to say this, you are a source of inspiration for me, for an old timer like myself, because of your service before, not so much what happened, although that's, it's pretty big, it really is, but what you've yeah. done with your life after, and we got a lot of catching up to do. So I appreciate you sharing your story and being a guest and being willing to talk about it again. Absolutely. So let's go into what happened. This was an unexpected attack. It was a call. I think the quote you used last time, it was a call that should have taken five minutes of my life and, and instead it changed your life. Correct. Absolutely. It, it was just a, a routine. What we Nothing should ever be routine, I guess. We learned that, right? right. Um, a basic call of please don't rip paper off of a wall for an adult. And it turned into a mental health call. And it turned into me fighting for my life. Right. And, and this person, she stabbed you multiple times and she focused on your neck and face, right? Yes. So she had tackled me from behind. She was on top of me, um, stabbed me multiple times through the neck, shoulder, arms, hands, um, with every intent to murder me. And without being melodramatic, and it sounds, how close did you come to losing your life? I had to have my shin drilled in to give me fluids. I lost so much blood. I was about to go into organ failure. So if I had not had all of my brothers and sisters from Hartford State Police, all the EMTs that knew when I cried on the radio for help or whatever they heard that didn't sound right, if they didn't come and shut down everything and get me to Hartford Hospital to the right staff, I would absolutely not be here today. You really are a, a walking, talking miracle, and that's not lost on me. And sometimes, look, if you're like me, I get wrapped up in everyday life. I get wrapped up in the challenges. I forget how fortunate I really am. Do you struggle with that sometimes? Yeah, I think it's something where I present as I am 
uninjured all my, you know, my paralysis. You can't see that in my throat. And I am a strong person, which is some <laughs> very often it's a negative um, characteristic to have when you are a victim. People don't see that you're still a victim, even though you can be strong. Right. No, I get that 100%. And, you know, that that strength, that persistence or stubbornness or what all the things I used to get dinged on in grade school. He's too stubborn. (laughs) I think or part of the reason why I survived, but they can become a handicap because I don't know about you, Jill. When someone says I can't do something, I'm like, oh, yeah, let me show you how. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, you know, like I had said way back that I was absolutely going to come back to work and put a uniform on. And that's because I was stubborn and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that I truly almost died and I have permanent injuries from that. And it took me a long time to accept that. I still, I don't think I'm accepting it to this day. I'm still struggling in therapy to say, I'm a police officer. What am I? I'm not a police officer. I had to find a a new mission in life. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels in our story, but there's also differences. And one of them is, if you look at me, Jill, you would not be able to tell that I'm physically disabled. I have uh, no movement in my right hand. Uh, The the, the wrist was fused in a place. The base of the thumb was fused in a place. And that was from a guy trying to shoot me with my own service weapon. Back then, we carried revolvers. And we fired off all six rounds. And I thought I sprained my wrist. My wife, who I met years after retiring from police work, sometimes forgets there's things I can't do. And guess who else forgets? Mm-hmm. And I, do. I don't want yeah. people to know. Look, I got a thing, and maybe it's a mental thing, that it's one thing to be disabled, but don't call me handicapped. Don't tell me there's certain things that, that, that I can't. I've learned to do everything differently, but there are certain things I can't do. Yes, I, I definitely struggle like today in therapy, I said, you know, it's, I'm broken. She goes, we have to find a different word. I'm like, I'm okay with it. I am broken. <laughs> yeah, well, but A lot of people are broken. I think we're, we can relate it. there. One of the terms that a lot of guests on my show have is we're dinged up. We're dented up, <laughs> but we're okay with that. Yes. And sometimes yes. it comes with the territory. It comes with police work. And look, there's a side of police work people don't want to know about. And I don't want them to know about. Correct. I mean, that's why I never wanted to have children. As I started when I was 22 and you see another side of society and I never wanted to bring children into that. I don't, I don't want to create something that's going to see that dark side. And there's, yeah, there's a lot that still this day is what happened to me. My family still doesn't understand that there is another side to society. There is. And I, I say this all the time. If people really understood that the loser down the street, the, the boogeyman that we, we are afraid of, there's a loser down the street that can ruin your whole life. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't really don't care what the, re- look, we'll get into your story about the mental illness in a moment, but sure. I really don't care whether you're mentally ill, whether you're evil, whether you're possessed by the devil or whatever. The moment you start threatening my life, things change. Correct. Yes. And uh, I, I got to ask you this. I gave up on people trying to understand, and I really focused on me understanding that I'm dinged up and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I I know who I am. I know that my what my restrictions are. You know, it's it's hard being married to me now, and my daughters will figure it out as they get older. But you know, I 
I struggle even the Department of Justice. You know, you have um, the PSOB fund for injured and on-duty death funds. And, you know, I got a letter saying that because I was pregnant and carried my children, I'm not broken enough. So it's, you know, you battle your whole life after a major incident that you're just judged because you just, you chose to continue your life and you chose to live. And it's still, people can't accept that you can just be, as one of my old coworkers named me a melted Lego. Yeah. (laughs) You could still be a melted Lego and still there's going to be pieces that fit. There'll be pieces that fit, and it still hurts when you step on them barefooted, as I'm sure you oh, found yeah. out as yep. well. <laughs> we have little kids. I, I got yep. it before we go to break, which is coming real soon. People think that you're supposed to just give up, and but you continued living life. You insisted on living life, and you're being and your words punished for that. Correct, big time. And that's part of the problem that people don't seem to get. We're talking with Jill Kiddick. Jill is now retired Hartford police officer who was viciously stabbed, viciously attacked, almost lost her life. When we return, we're going to talk more about her life after. There's so much great stuff coming up in Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What is the Newsbreak app, and why should you follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app? Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free, and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Return our conversation with Jill Kiddick on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Jill is a retired Hartford, Connecticut police officer. She was violently attacked, stabbed multiple times, almost killed. She was a prior guest on the show. You can find a digitally remastered, re-released episode of that, released on October 1st, 2023. Jill, as said before, there's so many things I can relate to about you and your story. A part of that, and we didn't get it to really get into it on the first episode we did with you, was your life after. When we had you on before, you were in the early days, the early stages of retiring. You tried to go back to police work, didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah indirectly. I was kind of forced back by workers' comp. Which we hate, so by the way. Workers' comp is one of the, <laughs> the, the evil... Oh, um, something. Uh, there's... I don't know if anybody goes, oh, thank God for workers' comp. No, no. I mean, even, and we all know there's some people, sure, if you take advantage of it, but as a person that could not have faked my injuries, I was mind blown at how bad it got to the point that the city settled with me and I was not to contact my workers' comp adjuster. So So I'm glad you did, but you wound up being retired. Yes, I took a full disability retirement based off of my physical and mental health reports from my doctors that it just was not, it was not realistic for me to return. One of the things, there's very few things I'll correct people on about police work because I just learned it's, it's just not worth the effort. But one of the things is if someone calls me ex-police or former police, I tell them, I correct them, no, it's retired. I got hurt yeah. doing my job and I was retired. I, I planned on doing 25 years. And in a way, I felt ripped off. There was ripped out, pulled out from under me at a very early age. I was 33 when I was retired. Uh, do you correct yeah. people when they, they say that? Yeah, I, 
you know, some people say she's still a police officer and I have to say, no, I'm not like I am retired, you know, and I do appreciate when people say that it feels good because you're always part of the blue family. You always have your tight knit group, but yes, it's, it's, I retired and it was not what I wanted. There are days you go to work and you're like, I'm all set with this, you know, but when it's taken from you and you don't decide to leave, that is a very different animal to deal with. And did you feel like, obviously I know the answer to this, that you didn't get to retire on your terms? I feel that, you know, it it came down to like, we just talked about workers comp, you know, how your pay decreases after 18 months in Connecticut. I don't know if it's like that everywhere, but I had a decision to make was at 18 months. And I don't think that that's enough time after a traumatic physical, mental, emotional event to make that decision. But when they're going to affect your pay, you kind of have to make a decision. I have to say the city of Hartford was great. Um, they let, they explained everything and they gave me a couple options to figure out what was right with my doctors, but it still was not, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave, but I had to. One of the things that, and my wife, again, she didn't know, and she's from Connecticut originally. She's from Avon, which is just west of Hartford. And she didn't know the struggles that a lot of police go through when they get hurt and retired. For example, when I was retired at 33, I wasn't able to do the job anymore. What I went through to get to that point between the doctors and lawyers and all that stuff was, I didn't know when I had my hearing if I was going to be fired or retired or what was going to happen. But I couldn't return to police work. Secondly, the day I retired, which was 66 and two-thirds of my base pay without overtime, my health insurance tripled. (laughs) Tripled. It was a third of my pension. Uh, And now what do you do? Where do you go from here? Who who do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very scary thing. You know, I'm a few years into the retirement, and I think it's now – you know, it hits you of like, wait a minute, I am on a fixed income with one payment a month and I can't work because that was the deal. And I can't work. (laughs) I don't know what I could do, but it is a very, it's a scary thing. You don't, there's no cola. There's no, you know, and health insurance is crazy. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's just added stress. Like I didn't want to leave, but I almost died for the job. And yet still, you know, there's still just restrictions on how much your worth. Part of what I had to do was I, I could not uh, do anything police related, which is fine. And uh, I had to find out what I could do and then find out. And I started the work. My first job, Jill, was selling pagers part time. Pagers and brick phones. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> and I was like the kid in the candy shop. I, don't, I was amazed, but I didn't know if I could do it. Yes. Yeah, that's why I, you know, there's... I still have paralysis in my throat. I get really tired after talking, like after this, I'm going to be exhausted because I don't get enough oxygen to my brain unless I focus on it. I have a lot of issues physically and emotionally, mentally that restrict me from doing anything. And I would just give anything to go to work. And the only way to save my brain is I told my husband, I, we need to have a kid. Like I have to have a purpose. I have to have something And that is the only reason I have children, because if I couldn't go to work, I would have completely lost it. I got to ask you this question. And and something tells me that we're a lot alike. Physical pain or emotional, mental pain, which is harder to deal with? The emotional, for sure. Yeah. And you said you're still in therapy. Uh, So how? Well, last we talked, 
and this is a term I hate, PTSD. I don't like the disorder part. I think of more of it as an injury. And, and yeah. it's, it comes with the territory. Everybody I know is dinged up to some degree or another. But when you go through really traumatic things, it, it really hangs around. And it can affect, it can come out sideways and affect your relationships. And you were struggling with some of the effects of that. That was several years ago. How are you doing today? Yeah, so I stopped going to therapy for a while, and I had one weekend. I think we were put, we were under contract on one house. We were putting our house up on the market, and I, something happened at my parents' house where I just wasn't prepared to be around people. I, it was, I was so stressed, anxiety for reasons only I could understand in my own head, that I, I had a panic attack in my garage. And I had reached out to another officer in Hartford and I said, you got to get me somebody. I got to start talking to somebody. I don't know what's going on with my brain. And so it doesn't go away. The PTSD is, and anxieties are triggered by things. You could, you could put a butcher knife in front of me that was purple, Kuznart one that was used for my throat, and it doesn't bother me at all. But there's, other, there's so many other things that kind of trigger me that I don't even know are coming. It's new every day, every week. There's things I'm discovering, and I can only protect myself so much, but I have a fantastic therapist that I've been seeing now for over a year. Good. She gets it. Um, she doesn't let me get away with anything. Um, and I needed that to find somebody new that can help me now. One of the things after. that I had to really, and I still focus on, there's three things I really focus on, is eating around the same time every day, my sleep, is my sleep patterns consistent? Because it's a real issue for me. And then how am I getting along with people, especially my wife and people that are close to me? Because for, for me, anger became a real problem and it still is a problem. When I get angry, it triggers a lot of that stuff. Yes. Yeah, I can totally relate. When I, you know, <laughs> my family, my husband would tell you, I'm like my OCD, it's a little much, but for me, it's control. I don't have control over my life. Don't have control over going to work, but I have control over what my house looks like. And that can trigger me to be upset. If it like, if something is done that just seems so minute to other people, it's just something else where I'm just trying to keep neutral in my world. And if something's out of place, that can just set me off. And that causes issues with my parents and my husband. We are talking with Jill Kinnick. We return. There's so much more to hear about on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Whether you're an aspiring podcaster, new or published author, speaker, content creator, visionary, or a dreamer crafting your message, now is your moment to shine. At CreativeCon 2024, you'll discover how to position yourself as an industry leader and leverage podcasting, publishing, production, and promotions to maximize your impact. For those seeking purpose, we'll ignite your storytelling passions and guide you to a more fulfilling path. To secure your tickets for this one-of-a-kind live event taking place at Chicago's Metropolis Performing Arts Center on February 17th and 18th, visit creativecon.com. That's C-R-E, the number 8, T-I-V-E-C-O-N, dot com. Get your tickets today. The future is yours. Speak it. Write it. Live it.
Return conversation with Jill Kiddick on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Jill is contacting us from west of Hartford, Connecticut. She is a retired Hartford, Connecticut police officer. She is a repeat, uh, I say that in the best way possible, a repeat guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. She was viciously, violently attacked and almost killed. I remastered and re-released the episode featuring her October 1st, 2023. Just check out the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast. You can find it. And in there, there's some really, really stunning explanations about what happened. The 911 audio from the backup officers was phenomenal. Jill's story was was great. But what we didn't get to talk about a whole lot, Jill, was your life after. And there's so much more you've been doing. So you got retired from the department. You're happily married. I believe, if my memory is correct, your your husband is a Connecticut State Trooper. Yes. Did you have one child or two children? We have two girls. Aha. Uh-huh. Something tells yes. me they're not going to be messed with when they're older. <laughs> no, they are mini gels. It's very scary. I wonder where that comes from. I wonder. Yeah. my I have two daughters, too. And by the way. They, they can be the terrors of South Buffalo, New York, and people are like, oh my goodness, don't mess with them. And uh, yeah. maybe it was a combination of their mother's emergency room nurse, me being a police officer, and the genetics, I think, play a part in it. And a part of our ethnic background, I think, comes through too. But uh, they don't mess around, and they were taught early on, do not ever let someone get within uh, arm's reach of you and hurt you. Never, ever, oh, ever. Yes. Uh, not spouses, yes. not boyfriends, not anybody. And I'm sure that's the way you're raised. And in police work, you're taught that too. Don't let people get within six feet of you. Oh yeah, my my oldest is only three, and we're we have very in depth talks about what she is allowed to do and how she has to protect herself. A hundred percent. So. Good. It's going to be interesting watching her grow up. And I think part of the problem nowadays, and this is something I was taught early on in police work, is women in particular, and I don't say this is a negative, they're targeted by a lot of predators. And and so many women are so concerned with being rude that they put themselves in situations where all the God-given instincts or nature-given or what do you believe in is telling you, Danger, Will Robinson. You got to do something. And they're like, I don't know. I don't want to look like the bad guy. Yeah, no, you got to be the bad guy. It's fine. It's okay to be the bad guy. You can always apologize later on if you're wrong. So, Jill, you you were thrust in a position where your police career is over. Uh, You have to learn how to adjust with, you've got the physical problems that, that still manifest themselves. You've got the emotional problems. You said you took a break from therapy for a while. You got back in it. What we didn't get to hear about is how are you doing with that today? You know, it's been, it's, it's a a path that I don't think it's ever, I'm never going to be okay without having therapy. Um, I think it's so important that people just recognize that they, they just need someone to vent it out to and to call them out and how to be better, you know, and you can get in your own way. It's important to have somebody give you a little bit of a reality check. Trust me, do I know all about that. I I know all about living where I I was so stuck and this was not supposed to happen to me. I really wasn't paying attention to how I was harming other people. I use that as an alibi for my lack of progress. That's a short version of a very long story. Was that the the case for you? 
yeah, you know, like I left therapy today and she was like, all right, we have to focus next time on how to be nicer to your husband. Oh, like, God. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Let me, before we finish, I'm going to get her name and number and send my wife up there. <laughs> no, and she's right. You, you hurt the people that are closest to you and you don't even see it. So that's, you know, to keep our marriage, I have a, my husband's very supportive, but still he doesn't live in my body. He doesn't, he has no idea what it's like. And I don't have the words most times to explain to him, you know, that today something upset me that has never upset me before, but this is, <laughs> this is the past, the, the path of trauma. Yeah. You don't, it's not straight. No, it's certainly not straight. And I've heard many people say, and I'm, I'm an old, look, I'm just getting through the whole applying for Medicare because I turned 65 uh, next month. And I am stressed to the max. And what I have learned to do, Jill, is when I get really stressed out, I have to just disengage totally and not talk to anybody. I get really quiet. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah, and- I will definitely get super stressed out and I just have to sit on the couch. But then you kind of get into your head. So it's good to take up some working out, running something for me, and then go to therapy and be reminded. So i got to ask you this, and we'll move on, because I know you're involved in a lot of other things. Your husband, even though he's a a state trooper, he knows about the trauma. He knows about seeing things. You could be right beside someone that goes through exactly the same thing and doesn't affect them the same way. But even... I love cops. I really do. But I've given up and try to explain to certain people. They'll ask questions or, or they'll give well-intended advice. Hey, just let it go. And I'm like, dude, I'm steaming inside. If I could let it go, don't you think I've done that 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, I definitely have had that conversation like with my parents, you know, where I've said, like, do you think it's fun for me to feel like this and react like this? It's not. I, too, don't want to be like this. I don't, I only have so much control. Right. I get it. I really, really do. Uh, You have been putting a lot of your energy, okay, obviously on, and I'm not saying this being mean. We, one of the things, and this is a personal statement about me, I have to really, really watch how I'm getting along with my wife. Because if I'm not getting along with her, that's usually an indicator, a barometer, so to speak, that I'm not doing well. And that, that I can hurt other people. And and the exterior actions don't look anywhere near as severe as the interior. Inside, I feel oh, yeah. horrible. Yes. Yeah, I definitely, you know, it's a hard, I try to remember that, you know, Tyler was there. He saw me get wheeled in the hospital and he too had his trauma for my incident. And it's something that he doesn't really talk about too much. And I don't recognize that he's been through it as well. Like for you with your wife, maybe it was after the fact, but she still has her trauma from your trauma and just trying to balance it all is very, it's just complicated. And it is. And by the way, my daughters who were two and three when I retired, they, they took their share lumps too. And and we talk about it periodically that they've accepted. And I look, I was skeptical for a very long time about generational trauma that when one parent goes through something horrible like you went through, that it's going to have an impact on your loved ones all across the board. Yes. Yeah, and I think there's just, you know, it, it it's hard, again, when people can't see how your brain is turning 
they can't see it, so they can't understand it. And if you don't have the words to explain it, it just, the void gets bigger and bigger. It does. And I get quieter and quieter. And one of the worst things I can do with my relationships, and I promise you, we're going to talk about some legislative stuff that Jill's been involved in and and when we return for break. But one of the things that I tend to do is I tend to isolate and I withdraw from, I I withdraw from a lot of people. And one of the biggest relationship killers that really had a negative impact on my first marriage was me withdrawing and isolating from her. Yeah, that's definitely some, I'm not, I'm not one that doesn't communicate one's feelings. (laughs) You know, I, I put it all out there. It's the delivery for me that's really, I know it's not received well. So I think that my husband would rather me not talk sometimes yeah. because I just, I, I just can't be nice about it, about how I'm feeling because I feel frustrated that they should already know how I feel. They sure know what I'm going through. They and sure it really get it. is frustrating that they're not mind readers. We're talking with Jill Kiddick. Jill is retired Hartford, Connecticut police officer. She was viciously, violently attacked, uh, almost killed. When we returned, there was a conversation on Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're going to talk about legislation, how she's, and I told you earlier, she does a lot of work to help other people. We'll find out more about that when we return. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Get access to free podcast versions of the show and more on Facebook. Do a search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. Back to our conversation with Jill Kiddick on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Jill is a repeat guest. She was on the show before. She's a retired Hartford, Connecticut police officer. And the prior episode featuring her talking about where she was attacked, everything, the the stunning 911 audio from backup officers, her story, it was digitally remastered and re-released as a podcast October 1st of 2023. Just search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast and you'll find that. Jill, so much has changed in your life and so much has not changed. One of the things you said earlier, and I got confronted with this, was like, and people started to build up some hope that things might be different was, and I don't know the terms, but there was a federal grant or something for injured, violently injured law enforcement officers, and you were denied. I kind of found out that I wasn't even eligible. Yeah, so the Department of Justice has a, um, a PSOB fund that is for, was once just for, police-related fatalities of officers that died in the line of duty, and then they opened that to disabled police officers who got the disability in the line of duty. And they also give education money to children of those disabled and who have passed. And I applied for that just after I retired in 2019, and it took until... January of 2023 for them to tell me after being a complicated case for all those years that I was denied because I carried my children. And look, I got no response for that. Obviously I'm not a female, but just <laughs> it, 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 it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So there's, a, there's an appeals process that you can go through. I appealed it the second that I got the denial letter. 
Um, this was after the fund was given um, out to the officer, the Capitol Police officer who had committed suicide. His family was given the fund money and therefore that opened the door for mental health disability, which is half of my disability. And the worker that was in communication with me said, oh, yeah, you know about that. Yes, that's part of it. That's why it's taking longer to go through your stuff. But yet they never requested any of my mental health paperwork. And then they just denied me because I gave birth. So I appealed in January and I have yet to get a call that it has been reviewed. And I got to say this very quickly, and I don't, I'm not going to ask you to comment. You know, one of the things that President Kennedy made a comment that about the police week, uh, where we honor those who, who are lost their lives in the line of duty, but we're also supposed to honor those who are physically disabled, permanently maimed as a result of their duty as a law enforcement officer. And quite often, they are ignored. They're ignored at police week. They're ignored everywhere. And they're not even mentioned. And I'm sure that gets under your skin sometimes as well. Yeah, there's definitely, there was not another injured officer from Massachusetts who had once said to me, like, one day you're going to understand why you're just going to feel like you were better off having died than survived. Yeah. And I can a thousand percent say that there are multiple times that I've definitely said that out loud, that this is another example of why it's, I'm a burden to people or it's just, I was worth more dead. And well, financially sad, speaking, sad. when an officer's killed on line of duty, their family is taken care of financially. And we Correct. see charities that provide houses for them. All those things are wonderful. I'm not I'm not anti that. What I'm saying is those who survive quite often are punished financially and they're punished mentally and emotionally and they don't get the support they need. Correct. Uh, we, we could, we could uh, discuss that forever. I, I want to focus on one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is, and I don't, it, every state is different, but they have not, not guilty by reason of insanity. Was that what wound up happening with your attacker? Correct. Yes. And they wound so up being was, committed to a state hospital for a period of time. And then quite often they're released, yes. aren't they? Yeah, so that's that's the difference of like once they accept the not guilty by reason of insanity, then you're you're committed to the mental institute in um, in Connecticut, and it's like that in many other states. Um, so you're not convicted of a crime. So you, the not guilty is truly you're not guilty. Um, then you're just committed, and you're just it's a mental health, and you're committed for however many years. You would get if you went to prison, but they can release you from the mental institute whenever they see fit. No matter, and they don't take in consideration how you feel. Not really. Um, I've had to absolutely force my words to be heard because they do want to separate the acquitty from the victim. They. Mm want to just focus that they just have a mental health they didn't actually like commit a crime there's a there's a disconnect there and one of the things that i never really thought of is we tell people all the time when they have uh dangerous threatening people to get a restraining order is, is that something you're capable of doing doing nowadays or, or is that a being affected by her status so the moment that she was arrested and arraigned, a no contact order was issued by the courts and I was given that and I had been carrying around that piece of paper for five and a half years. And during a meeting a couple of weeks ago, I thought, I don't think I'm telling the truth saying that I have a no contact order. 
seeing all the glitches that happen once somebody is found insane. So I asked the courts to look into it, multiple people from victim services, the state's attorneys, and I do not qualify as a victim under Connecticut law because she was not convicted of a crime. I am not a victim of a crime. So therefore I cannot obtain a restraining order criminally or civilly against my attacker. That is so unfair. And and, and to be brutally honest, it's something I never thought of. Uh, It's like, how is this even possible? Yeah. Nobody that I asked to look into it seemed like, Oh yeah, this is just what happened. Everyone was extremely confused and it's a glitch that nobody recognized before. And I don't know how many other victims in Connecticut or I don't know how other states work that don't know that the piece of paper means nothing once they're committed because of how the laws are written. And, and you as a, a police officer and a mother of two, you know, the restraining orders are, are really, it's just a piece of paper anyway. Correct. Yes. But the, ability to, if my attacker gets released for an hour, for a day, it doesn't matter. She shows up in my front yard and I call the police. There's nothing to arrest her for. There's nothing that can be done. I, I, there's one last question. I'm sure something I didn't think of because this is all foreign to me and it doesn't make sense. Is there something else that America does not know, does not realize that the impact of these mental health laws, hip laws, and air quoting, have uh, Mm -hmm. an impact on you? Oh, yeah. There's the only way that you're found not guilty for reasons of insanity is because you had to commit a crime. There has to be a heinous crime. It's not shoplifting or robbery. It's not any materialistic thing. You hurt another human being. You threaten another human being. You put somebody at risk of their life is why you went there. And now it is truly like an all it's the get out of jail free card is kind of what it is that's what it is well they get out of jail free but you don't correct correct and you've got the the lifelong injuries which i don't understand that and sometimes i'm sure you get frustrated trying to tell people yeah it it gets exhausting because i don't know how many times i have to like give out my medical paperwork, which I'm fine. Anybody can read it. And you see the doctor's notes of the day came in that were simply a CYA for them. Like we did what we could and nobody expects me to make it, but you know, she's okay after less than a year and a half in the maximum security. And she has such good behavior that she's already down to medium security and could be out for temporary leave in no time really. And I have no protection against her. And yet your struggle, your work continues on, and that's going to be part of your life for as long as it needs to be. Correct. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to just sit down and hope that somebody else fixes my problem. I'm going to be exhausted doing this, but I have to protect myself. I need to get a piece of paper in my pocket that I know at least helps me legally and my family legally protect ourselves because she very well may be standing in my front yard one day. And I want you to understand this. I'm I'm pretty sure you know this already. If you need us to do anything to help you in your journey, just pick up the phone, give me a call, shoot me an email, whatever it might be. Jill, I appreciate oh so much you coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, telling your story, and wish you well in your continued life after. Thank you. 
I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.